greatest gain of our salvation is not that we escape hell or get a ticket to heaven. The most significant of many benefits that come from trusting Jesus is the restoration of a personal relationship with God. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. We've been talking about the name above all names. Now, we all recognize there are meanings behind our names. For example, all of my life, I grew up hearing that my dad was named after two cartoon characters. His name is Donald Chester Purvis. And of course, I'd heard of Donald Duck, and that's not very far-fetched, but he all of my life told me he was named after Chester Goop. I had never heard of Chester Goop, but thanks to the internet, I have verified there is a Chester Goop. He was a cartoon character. My dad, I don't think, ever looked like that, but I will take his word. He was named after Donald Duck and Chester Goop. My big brother, Rocky, is nine years older than me. Now, he is Donald Chester Purvis Jr., Now, so he was given that name as Junior, but all of my life and all of his life, he's been known as Rocky. He's not quite uh, young enough to be named after Rocky Balboa in the Sylvester Stallone movies, but uh, I have always been told that when he was about one year old, our granddaddy dropped him on his head, and because his hard head bounced and he didn't get hurt, they named him Rocky. I don't know if that's true. But that's what we've gone with. I remember as a child looking up the meaning behind the name Paul. And I was kind of let down when I did that because Paul just simply means little. And so that was not real exciting for me. I do know as a child, I was taught by my parents that I was named after Paul in the Bible. And as I've grown and studied scripture, I understand that that Paul lived his life to become little so that Jesus might be big in him. So that would be my desire too, that I might be little so that Jesus might be big in me. Well, we've been talking about the different names of Jesus and there's no way we could cover all of the names or the descriptors or the the titles, but we're hitting some of the highlights. For example, we, we talked about the promised names of Jesus. Jesus is our wonderful counselor. He's our mighty God. He's our everlasting father. He's our prince of peace. That means in his divinity and his humanity, he gives us the guidance and the wisdom we need. He gives us the strength and the power we need. He gives us the unconditional love and acceptance we need. And he gives us the calm assurance we need to make it through life. Aren't you grateful that we have those promised names? of Jesus. But then we talked about that Jesus is also a name of great presence. He is our with us God. Say this with me. Say, God is with me. 
He is. He is Emmanuel. He is the God who is with us. That means if you are a child of God, if you have been adopted into the family of God, if you are a son or daughter of God, that means when you begin a lifelong relationship with Jesus, he gives you this guarantee. I will never, no, never, not ever leave you or forsake you. He is the with you God. That means on your good days, he's with you. On your bad days, he's with you. On your happy days, He's with you on your sad days. He's with you when you don't know how you're going to keep going. He is with you because he's Emmanuel, the with you God. Then we saw that Jesus name proclaims the truth of the gospel and the power of his grace. He is the word, the name of proclamation. And we remember that we're challenged to proclaim the truth of the gospel and the power of God's grace. I would just ask you, we're zeroing in on Christmas Day this year. Have you been taking advantage of the opportunity to be a witness of the word in your little corner of the world? Say, how do I do that? Well, let me just give you three examples. You could do what me and some of the men of the Purvis Pack did yesterday. You still have time. We went around to several hundred doors, and we didn't even knock on the doors. We just put these little plastic bags, door hangers on these doors. They have a copy of the Jesus DVD. They have some information from our church and an invitation to join us on Christmas Eve. Now, those will be outdated by tomorrow. But if you still want to just hit your neighborhood, we're not handing out any more maps or anything, but if you want to hit your neighborhood, you can just go over to the FLC right after this service, pick up as many bags as you want, and you can go after it. You could do that. You could also just be a witness by inviting people to our Christmas Eve services. I'm really excited about what we're going to do. We're going to sing more carols just like we've just done this morning. We're going to hear some of the old secular Christmas songs that kind of make us smile. We're going to laugh a little bit because there's going to be some funny visits from some characters that you might recognize. We're going to hear the Christmas story, even see that acted out by some boys and girls. In addition to that, you're going to hear the message of hope of why Jesus came. It's going to be a great time. That's at 4 and 8 o'clock right here on this campus. There's a 6 o'clock service at our 6-mile campus, a 6 o'clock service at our Lake Carol campus and then there's 11 p.m. different service that is a candlelight communion really designed for Christ followers who just want to usher in Christmas day in his presence so there's all kind of opportunities for you to invite people to come and to be a part of what we're doing I think we even have some invitations we can put in your hands as you leave today but then you can simply share your story just look around your little corner and and find somebody that might be willing to hear what Christmas means to you. I'm overwhelmed with the reality that a lot of professing Christ followers fly through the Christmas seasons as if we don't really understand what it's all about. We're going to spend time focusing on that even today. There's all kinds of ways you can be proclaimers of the word. But today, as we look at the most common name of the Christ child, we see the purpose of Christmas, the purpose of Christmas. And today, would you just do me a favor, in honor of the reading of God's word, would you just stand as we read this together? Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. This is the word of God from Matthew's gospel. 
Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when the mother, his mother, Mary, had been betrothed or engaged to Joseph before they came together, before they had experienced the physical union. She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man, unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Hey, let me just stop right there and say, If you would just open your ears before you walk down a path that's going to lead you in a way you should not go, I promise you the Holy Spirit of God would speak into your heart and your mind and give you some guidance that would keep you from taking those steps he doesn't want you to take. That's what happened in this story. That's not our focus today, but I needed to just give you that as a bonus. Because Joseph listened to what the angel was saying. Listen to what the angel said. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And then look at verse 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name, let's say it together, Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. This is from Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Father, in the name of your son Jesus, We ask you, speak that we might hear. Give us open ears and mind. Give us a willing heart so that we might receive. For that person who's in this room or listening to this message, God, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation if they do not yet know you. God, may we see that you are a God who came on purpose to this world so that you might give us purpose in this world. Lord, I pray that the words I say and even my thoughts would be pleasing to you in these next few moments in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. If we have questions about why Jesus came, if we contemplate what Christmas is all about, if we ever wonder if we really need a God, then Matthew chapter 1 verse 21 answers that question. Look at it again. And she will bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus came on purpose for a very clear purpose. Now that name that we have there in Matthew 121 is a familiar name. It's the name Yeshua. It means Yahweh is salvation. God saves. Joseph would have been familiar with that name. That was a common name. That's kind of hard for us to understand in an American culture, but in our church, it's probably not because we have people every time we gather from around 50 different countries and a lot of countries of the world still today. Jesus is a common name. I was in a store last night and I was talking to the person that was helping me and another person came up because they recognized me. I'd been a little too much, I suppose. They said, aren't you so? And I said, yes, I'm such and such. And so uh, they said, hey, did, did you meet my friend? They said, yeah, his name's Javi. They said, that's not his real name. And the guy kind of was trying to shut him up and, and he held up his badge. And he said, yeah, see, it has Javi on here. He said, 
No, that's not his real name. His real name is Jesus. <laughs> he said, he's a pastor. You can tell him that. His name is Jesus. <laughs> and, and so in some courses, uh, cultures, Jesus or Jesus is a common name. Joseph would have found that as a common name. But what was uncommon was what the angel said to him, which is this Jesus will save his people from their sins. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. Would you consider making a gift today? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. And you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. This Jesus is a God who saves. It doesn't say our God empathizes, though he does. It doesn't say he cares or listens or helps, though he does. It it doesn't say he assists us or applauds us, though he does. It says our God saves. Oh, God is more than our Savior, but he's never less than our Savior. Our God saves. So let me just give you a few truths about that, and then I'm going to pray with you, because I believe today may be life change for somebody that's listening I want you to understand that Jesus desires, he wants to be your personal savior. Did you hear that in the message to Joseph? He will save your people from their sins. This is not about somebody else. Your relationship with God has nothing, listen to me, nothing to do with your family. Your relationship with God is about you recognizing your need for salvation and submitting and surrendering to him and experiencing by his grace through faith the gift that he offers to you. He wants you to know that. He knows you. He wants to save you from your sins. He's not a distant deity. He's not an unknown or an unknowable God. He knows you and he deeply desires to be known by you. I love a song we used to sing that says, I have a maker. He he formed my heart. Before even time began, my life was in his hands. He knows my name. He knows my every thought. He sees each tear that falls and he hears me when I call. Listen today, Jesus wants to be your personal savior. He wants to save you from your sins. But Jesus is also willing to be your permanent savior. We see this when we see how salvation is described in scripture. And our salvation is described as a completed process, but it's also described as a process that is in the works. It's a completed process because according to scripture, once I've become a child of God, the Holy Spirit seals me under that day of redemption. That means that I can know that my salvation is secure. I don't have to live in uncertainty. 
I, I believe the Bible teaches once I've been truly saved, not once I've walked down an aisle, not once I've joined a church, not once I've walked through baptism or catechism or church class or first communion, but once I've been truly saved, I'm always saved. I'm secure. It's a doctrine of eternal security. The process is is completed, but it's also an ongoing process in a way. He accomplishes our salvation once and for all, but he continues the process of salvation. So we say it sometimes this way. I have been saved, I am being saved, and I will be saved. That's what it means when I look to Jesus as my Savior. First of all, Jesus has saved his people from the penalty of sin. Do you understand that? Jesus has saved his people from the penalty of sin. This is a doctrine of justification. Jesus, because of his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, he makes it just as if I never sinned. Now, let me explain that to you. The Bible, remember, says that we're all sinners. Well, the Bible goes on to say that the penalty, the punishment for sin is death. That's the wage. Just like you worked this week, many of you, and you got paid or you will get paid for your work, the payment, the penalty for your sin. And we're all in this boat is death. It's guaranteed payment. You're going to get it. That's what God says. But through Jesus, we have our penalty lifted. Not because he said, I'm not going to do that. But because Jesus took the wrath of God. Because Jesus experienced our pain. Because he experienced our penalty. That's what Romans 5, 8, and 9 says. But God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Look at verse 9. Since therefore we have now been justified, there's that word, by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. He took on the wrath of God, the anger of God, the penalty of our sin, the punishment for our sin, so that we don't have to. First Peter 2 puts it this way. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live in righteousness by his wounds you've been healed. Romans 8, 1 then tells us the result of this. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When I have applied this gift of God and received his forgiveness, when I've understood that Jesus, my savior, took the penalty for my sin, then when God looks at me, he doesn't condemn me. That's why that most familiar verse in the Bible, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life is followed by a verse that says, for he did not come into the world to condemn the world. That's the difference between what we believe and what most of the world believes. Most of the world looks at God as if he's angry at them and just wants to judge and condemn them. No, he came into the world to give us a way to hope and life and light. That's why that great song says, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but in whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. It is well, it is well, it is well, it is well with my soul. Jesus saved his people from the penalty of sin and that's the doctrine of justification, but Jesus is saving us from the power of sin. And that's the doctrine of sanctification. 
So Jesus made it clear that when you're saved, you're supposed to begin to look different. He begins to change your want to. You begin to act differently. You're not supposed to stay the same. If you profess to be a child of God, to have experienced salvation through Jesus and your life has not looked different, according to scripture, you are not saved. You've not been changed. Because if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. All the old things have passed away. All things have become new. We're not conformed to this world. He tells us we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. And so we begin to be changed. And we see that in the ministry of Jesus. So Jesus he, he, he makes this woman caught in adultery a hero. Remember the story? John chapter 8, Jesus walks up this woman that's about to be stoned. Jesus kneels down into the dirt where they have got her on the ground stoning her, and he turns around, and, and what does he say? Okay, those of you without sin, you throw the first stone. And while he said that, he, he's writing in the sand, and we don't know what he writes in the sand. Some people think he wrote the name of the guy that she was with. Uh, some, some people, who knows what he wrote? But this is what we know. They all went away. Then Jesus looked at the woman and he said this. All right, go and sin no more. See, Jesus made it clear in scripture that when you begin a relationship with God, it changes you. That's why in Galatians chapter five, we're taught the fruit of the spirit. That when the Holy Spirit of God is living in me, I look different. That's why you'll hear me say things like, I don't have the liberty to be unkind. Not that I won't ever be unkind, but I don't have the liberty to get a pass at doing that and think it's okay. I don't have the liberty to go around living in unforgiveness and bitterness. I don't have a liberty to, to, to hold grudges at people and, and not talk to people. I believe that's one of the reasons the church, the corporate church in America is dying because Christians professing followers of Jesus are not acting like Jesus even in church. You've got to hear this today. You've got to understand that this is not popular. It's not. In fact, I believe, I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet. I'm not a future teller, but I believe if Jesus tarries and I live long enough, we'll probably see a day in our country where that's considered hate speech. But scripture teaches Jesus is the only possible way for salvation. Why do you say that, Pastor? Well, first of all, Jesus said it. John fourteen six. Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He didn't say I'm one of many ways. I'm a truth. I've flown a lot this year. I've been in the Middle East a couple of times. Three times, I think. I've been in Africa. I've been in South America. I know this, though. If I want to get a ticket, let's say to go to Italy, if I want to go to Rome, I can't just take a ticket to anywhere. Because when I get on a plane over here at TPI, it's called Tampa International Airport, all planes don't go to the same place. That wouldn't be logical. If I want to go to Rome, I need a plane to Rome. If I go stand at the ticket counter and, and say, I need a ticket to Rome, and they say, I don't have a ticket to Rome, but I'd like to give you a ticket to Buenos Aires. 
that's not going to help me. If I say that's not going to help me, and then they then say, well, you know what? I, I think you should go to Southwest Airlines because they've got the best customer ratings and they have a lot of fun with the flight attendants when you fly. That's not going to help me because Southwest doesn't fly to Rome. If I want to go to Rome, I've got to have a ticket to Rome. And Jesus said, if you want a ticket to a restored relationship with God, there is only one way. I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. And then the church, the church began to adopt that. So as the church was born in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, it says, there is no salvation in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby one can be saved. Christianity says only Jesus can save you. He's your only possible savior. The purpose of Christmas is salvation because the purpose of Jesus is salvation. He saves you from something, your sin. He saves you to this purpose of living for his glory. And he saves you by something, his grace. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. And join us weekdays at 9 a.m. for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk, a.m. 570 and 910.